Welcome, everybody, to the Exponential Hub Seminar on Leading Your Team Well. I am so excited you are here. My name is Katie Cole, and my partner in crime here today is William Vanderblumen. So good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. Just putting a little... Uh blurb out there on Insta to try and tell people they could come see us right now. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So if any of you have friends who need to work on their teams, especially uh, taking a look at where things are headed into the future and what William and I are both seeing in our consulting firms in terms of questions people are asking about leading their teams, uh, where their church is heading, how do you create healthy cultures? That's what we're going to talk about today, sort of both our predictions on where we see things going, the questions we're hearing the most of we're going to try to address. Of course, this is a big question mark to all of us, but we're going to do our best. And William, you were just talking to a big business this week about this very topic, right? It's not just the church that's dealing with this. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I was with uh, the folks at Brotherhood Mutual, which is a mammoth company that does insurance and benefits and payroll and all kinds of things for uh, HR solutions for churches. And you know, they got just in their headquarters, 600 employees, and they work all across the globe. And they had me come in to do a similar talk. And, and it's like, everybody's asking these questions. Um, it's, it's maybe the most frequent thing I'm getting asked now. Mm-hmm. And I, I, uh, I likened it to, I actually learned, you know, you hear these old phrases that get kicked around your whole life and you don't know what they mean. And uh, then you hear the real story or, or the story that's on the internet. Maybe it's not the real story. <laughs> so the story that's on the internet, the, the old phrase, uh, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I guess the story I heard, whether it's, it's my truth, right, <laughs> is uh, that, you know, you only bathed one day a week and, and the oldest kids got to go first and the baby was the last one. And then you need to go throw the bathwater out and just be sure not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And the, the, the phrase stuck with me. So I've been saying to people, I, I guess we have to figure out what's the baby and what's the bathwater, mm-hmm. you know, of all this innovation and acceleration and disruption that's happened over the last 12 or 13 months. Now that we're headed into a post COVID world, what stays, what doesn't, that seems to be what, what people are asking me more than anything. I don't know if that's true for you, Katie. Absolutely. Well, I think we've all added a whole bunch of stuff. We paused some other things. And I think as leaders, we know that when God sends a disruption of any kind, you have to pay attention to it, right? It's a great opportunity to recalibrate, to reset, to relaunch, to rebuild, to reconnect, all of those things. And we want to be really strategic. We can't go back to where things were. I think all of us intuitively know that. But we can't keep going like we've been going for the last year either. And so where's the strategic thinking? How can we look at this with a measure of uh, logic, but also agility and really move our teams into the future? For me personally, and I'm sure you see this too, like as as leaders, especially spiritual leaders, I think we know that uh, God has really disrupted some things that we were maybe holding on to a little too tight uh, with our models, with our finances, with people. Uh, people and especially with our teams and it's sort of pride our hands open and so we want to have wisdom and not throw the baby out with the bathwater, but at the same time, we don't want a bunch of stinky bathwater around either. And my, I grew up in Montana. That phrase was a commonplace, right? I'm frontier land. I'm like, that that thing happened. And it's because the bathwater is so dark and dirty, you can't see the baby in it. So we want to have a measured sense. And, you know, in ministry, it's so easy sometimes to make the way we do things, especially if they're successful, right? None of us have problems killing the things that have been, you know, dying a slow death. We're thankful for the opportunity. But now we have to really take a look at 
these things that have worked in the past are probably not going to make the turn over the next five years, which is kind of the measure I'm looking. It's like, what what's going to be here three to five years from now? And how can we begin to position ourselves? We're not in a rush, but we can start to slowly calibrate towards those things so that uh, we are moving forward and get a fresh batch of bathwater and like um, start over and then uh, give ourselves a little breathing room in the process because we have clarity on where we're going. Yeah, you know, Katie, one totally agree. In one place, uh, a phrase that I'll never forget that I had the the good fortune to have a mentor when I was a young pastor, John Maxwell, uh, took time in me and invested in me at a level that I just sure don't deserve. But I remember asking him when I was 31 and senior pastor of this big old historic church, uh, what what should I be doing now so that I don't have regrets later? And he said. Um, Wise young leaders spend their early years creating options for their later years. And I just thought that right now, so so a little bit different from you. I'm not trying to see what's going to stick around three to five years from now. What I'm trying to do is going to say is saying what's not going to be around in three to five years. Mm. Like, so I, I don't mind having to change in three to five years, but I don't want to have painted myself into a corner. Like, I don't want to invest in a bunch of blockbuster video stores. I don't want to, you know, you know what I mean? Like, how do I read the times in a way that uh, uh, gives me the wisdom to create options for future days? I love that. Well, and I think that's what's going to be fun about our conversation today. So just a little housekeeping for those of you watching live. Uh, if you want to have any questions go on while we're chatting, just put them in the chat and Brooks is going to take care of feeding those to us. We're going to do our best to kind of answer them as we go. Uh, so that will be through the whole thing. And then uh, William and I, uh, we've known each other for 20 years. We've both been in ministry a long time. You're probably a little longer than me, uh, but uh, we haven't really talked about our future predictions. I have a feeling we'll agree agree on some and not agree on others. So it should be a really dynamic conversation. Um, So I'm going to throw the ball to you first, William, and have you go ahead and give us a couple of your thoughts about moving forward, either things you think will be around or things you think will not be, and where we can kind of invest our time and energy and resources. Sure, Katie. I I think right off the bat, uh, one thing that I think will happen in the next, right now through the next 24 months and I've been shouting it from every mountaintop, so some people have already heard me say it, but we're in for more job turnover in the next 24 months than we've seen in the last five years. And there's some really concrete reasons around that that I can go into if you want me to. Give us a couple, help us understand why that is. If if the economy's going down, why aren't people staying in their jobs? Sure, sure, and Brooks, maybe you could find the Kerry Newhawk podcast I did on this. It's about an hour and a half long of two preachers just ramble. But, yeah, feel free but, to give us the cliff notes on this first. <laughs> the cliff notes is, uh, first of all, turnover is not a bad thing. Mm. And some of you listening there today have probably made the same mistake I made. I used to think about my staff and I would talk about my people. And in ministry, I thought they'd be with me forever. And, you know, somewhere along the way, that really got into some twisted theology because it's not my church. It's not my staff. It's not my, it's Jesus people. And if you if you think about what Jesus got in trouble with his disciples for, not the not the religious leaders that were out to get him or people that hate him, but like his his tightest of tight, they got mad at him for always moving around. 
Mm. Where'd he go? Did we lose him? Where is he? He went from town to town and village to village. Like turnover is natural. And it is not, you might be a multi-site pastor. Maybe you've got that one church, many locations. That's an awesome tagline. Let me change it for you. One kingdom, many locations. And I would use this year or two of turnover, which is going to happen as a time to divest yourself of some really bad theology and thinking that they're your people that are showing up. So, so that's sermonette over. Here are the cliff notes. Turnover is natural. It's like a stream that rolls. People just move. 2020, the pandemic was a dam that went up in that stream. So there's a latency in turnover. Things that should have turned over last year didn't. Okay. So just by default, uh, whether it's I feel like it's time to move, but I'm not going to move during a pandemic, or I can't leave my house during a pandemic, or I, I need to stay with these people till we're through this. That's a big dynamic. Uh, so latency in the market is one. Uh, another is people have, have suddenly looked up and said, why am I doing this? I don't know, Katie, if you've got any clients, uh, we run into it a lot where there are people that uh, take a sabbatical or give their staff a sabbatical and then... <laughs> Within six months of the sabbatical, they leave. And uh, you go, well, what's the lesson here? Are sabbaticals evil? And no, that's not the answer. The, the lesson is we're creatures who have it. We tend to go into a rut and stay there. And anytime that rut is disrupted and we lift our head up a little bit, we start asking bigger questions. Wow, life is short. Do I want to keep doing this? That's why after sabbaticals, people tend to move on. Now, I would suggest that you create some golden handcuffs for your people before they have a sabbaticals. But 2020 was not a time of rest. It was not a sabbatical. If you're a church leader, you probably worked harder last year than you've ever worked. It is a time we got out of our patterns. And a lot of people, now that the crisis is sort of on the back end, are starting to say, why am I doing this? I don't want to do student ministry the rest of my life. I don't want to be a senior pastor anymore. I'm hearing Katie, I don't want to lead a mega church anymore. I want to, I want to pastor a little church near a lake so I can fish and just <laughs> care of people. I and mean, like that is real and it's happening. So there's the why question. Uh, a third one, there's the where question. Like there's a geographic disruption that's about to happen. I've got some clients that are saying, mom and dad are getting old. We need to be near them. And that takes precedent. I've got other clients that are saying, I got grandbabies in California. I'm doing ministry there. I'll find something, but I'm out of here. And so there's a, there's a, why am I doing this? There's a, where am I going to do this? Uh, and then finally, the, you know, the news about why do people leave jobs? Well, some people say they leave managers, not jobs. And that's often true, but sometimes there is a continental drift in what you were hired to do and what you're actually asked to do. And it's a little change, a little bit at a time. And you look up and you're not doing what you came to do. That all got accelerated during COVID. And I've got people saying, this isn't what I signed up for. So whether it's a, a succession plan that's going quicker or somebody moving to be near family or somebody saying, I don't want to do this anymore, or just we were going to leave, but we waited through the pandemic, there will be turnover. And, and I think the, you can argue it with me all you want. That's fine. You're welcome to be wrong. It's a free country. But, uh, it, it, you know, smart people are getting ahead of this, not by trying to stop it. It's like when we hear hurricanes coming in Houston, you, you, all you can do is mitigate it and prepare for it. And uh, there are some things you can do to mitigate and prepare. But, but that, I think, Katie, 
It's not a three to five year thing. It's not a what's the trend that's going to stick or stay, but it's a very clear and present danger to a lot of teams out there that, that needs to be addressed. I love that you're saying that. And also, I love the freedom, hopefully, it's giving to leaders right now whose staff is feeling wobbly or they can sense there's a shift coming, that this isn't uh, just you. It's not personal. It is uh, it is the shift. And I think also it's very hopeful when you know that's happening kind of everywhere, that maybe God is like shaking up the chessboard a little bit and we might rotate some pieces around for a more effective kingdom. So I love that. Talk for just a second, if you wouldn't mind expanding, though. I know there's a leader out there who is thinking, okay, Okay, that's great if people volunteer to leave, but there's a few people I actually need to get mm. off the team. And this feels like a horrible time to do that. What advice or recommendations? I mean, you you run a huge staffing placement firm. You coach leaders and teams through this process all the time. What are some good guardrails or ways a pastor can start to shift their mind around like, okay, we're going to have disruption on our staff, like coming out of a bad year. Now we're going to have... T- Two years of disruption as people shuffle. How do I also make sure we land on top and just not the lower rung is left, but I've got a really healthy, great staff I want to go into the future with? Yeah, I I, uh, appreciate that. I don't know that anyone's asked me that question. So these are top of mind thoughts. First of all, I would say turnover is contagious. Okay. Once it starts on a staff, it's going to go for a spurt. It's kind of like, I don't know if some of you listening today have been pastors of churches where you do the funerals. And like, I've been a pastor of a small church and a medium size and a large, large didn't do too many funerals, but the small mediums that you're doing all the time. If you've ever been in that situation, you know, funerals happen in streaks. Like it's not just a superstitious thing. It, It usually three at a time was my like, same with turnover. Like if you go and release somebody, it might be the right move, but I think you better have an awareness that you might be pushing over a domino that has a few behind it because mm-hmm. turnover is contagious. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Second thing I'd say is maybe the most consistent trend in the 13 years I've been helping people build their teams. Most consistent mistake I see is we hire too quickly. We fire too slowly. And that sounds mean and coarse. I can say it like my friend, Tim Stevens, who's much nicer than I am, who says, I like, Long hellos and short goodbyes. Doesn't sound nice. <laughs> Such a decent Midwestern guy. <laughs> so, you know, if you really do know that that move needs to happen, I think now is better than later because people are going to be able to tolerate the churn a little. There are more job openings in the next 12, 24 months than there will be later on. And- that right there. That right there. Well, I just want to say that is a mark of a generous leader to have the conversation and give them opportunities to move when you know the market is going to be open. And wouldn't you rather be a a faith community and a family that's known for sending people and not losing people? I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Mm -hmm. Hanging on versus sending. So I I just think, uh, you know, the other reality that people probably don't want to admit is finances are pretty good right now. Um, giving was not horrible last year for most people. I know somebody's going to wait a minute. It was horrible. For, I, yeah. I'm sorry. I know there's real pain out there, but the reality for most is you were within 90, 95% of the year prior. You had much lower expenses than you did the year before, unless you had to go buy a bunch of tech equipment and you might've even gotten some free money from the government through PPP. So you might be in a really strong financial position to bless the person leaving with a severance or separation agreement, or you want to be really saccharine, you can call it a love offering. Um, But, you know, (laughs) 
<laughs> something to bless them. And my advice to you is think of a really big number and then double it. Yeah. You, you, people will remember their departure far long after they've forgotten what happened while they went there. And so you need to be a sender or a miser, your choice. I agree. Be as generous as you possibly can. And the sooner, the better. That tends to be good uh, guardrails for that. So uh, I have one that I'm going to throw into the conversation then. I loved your uh, first one. I think uh, moving forward, uh, agility, leadership agility is the future for us. I think uh, many of us maybe have talked about it. It's been in the business leadership literature for the last probably five years, really trending. Uh, I work with a lot of businesses, especially fast-growing tech firms. And so leadership agility has been one of the competencies we've been teaching. But I found in the church this last year really actually made us be agile. So for me, agility, the way I like to define it, is it's like physical agility. It's strength plus flexibility. And in ministry, in my consulting, I either find staffs that are really strong. They all have a lot of clarity. They're really clear on the purpose. They really know their skill sets. They're implementers, and they know how to crank out a great product. Or they're super flexible, and they adjust, and they move, and they flex, and they tweak. Agility has to have both. You have to have strength and clarity around your mission and vision and what you're accomplishing. And you need to stay flexible for changing dynamics. So uh, one of the things we can do as a team, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to, you know, something that you are speaking my language, like I'm your choir. Amen. (laughs) You know, this is, but but what I'm finding, and sorry for just a two minute rabbit trail. um, I, I jog, I run, actually I jog, right? I've had to start stretching because I pull things and it actually lasts a while. And I remember when I first started stretching, um, I, I couldn't touch my toes. And like the, the work touching my toes was harder than the five mile run. And that's how old I'm getting. And I remember trying to touch my toes some years back and our youngest walked in and she was just a barely like a toddler at the time. And she looked at me sweating and huffing and puffing, trying to touch my toes. And she sat down next to me and she tied herself into a human pretzel, like (laughs) only a toddler can do. And then she stood up, didn't say a word, just stood up and laughed at me and left the room. And it dawned on me, William, every day you're alive, you get less flexible. So love the strength plus uh, flexibility. Mm-hmm. I want to put for me, just my own rigidness, I want to put ever increasing <laughs> strength plus flexibility. Like it takes a discipline to stretch yourself. And man, that's hard for senior leaders to inject that into their teams. But I, I think the ball game, the future belongs to the agile. I think you're totally right. Yeah. So for me, agility comes, there's a personal agility and then a way we train our team and culture to have agility. So what you're talking oh. about is who am I? And and we tend to, in our personality, fall to one side or the other, or we're even kind of conditioned in the leadership environments we grew up to have lots of, lots of strength. I find uh, leaders who transition into ministry from the business world usually double down on strength, right? Clarity, mm-hmm. plan, spreadsheet, blah, 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 right? It's right there. And then they get into ministry and they're 
of like, wait, what? I got to adjust my plan because the senior pastor announced something on Sunday morning. We've been working on this for four months. He could just do that, right? Or or you kind of grew up in ministry or a lot of times women are conditioned to be uber flexible. Mm -hmm. And so they just kind of never really nail down the goal or nail down the vision or measure themselves and hold themselves accountable because the target is always shifting. And so knowing who you are and how you've been stretched in this season, right? For highly flexible leaders, this has been a season where it's like, what are we about? If we can't do all 17 things and I can only do two things online, <laughs> what is that? Like, it really has challenged us to define who we are, right? And some of the strength people are like, wait, you took away my Sunday morning live audience. I have to like recalibrate how I do this and change my strat, you know, change my own personal practices, right? So I had to add some flexibility to who I am. So all of us have to stretch one way or the other. Um, and the first thing we have to do is ourselves become more agile. And as we become more agile, and like you said, we all have a story. I'm either like the yoga queen or the bodybuilder, right? Which one am I from a leadership perspective? And how do I learn from the ballerina or the football player? So in your team right now, we all have both. Who can you learn from and who's maneuvering things a little clearer or a little bit more flexible than you? And ask for some help, ask for some coaching. That's so good. Really, as leaders, as team leaders, as executive team leaders, senior pastors, we have to start talking about agility and creating our systems and structures to be agile themselves. If you only do an annual report or an annual retreat or annual planning or, Lord forbid, three to five year strategic plans, that is not going to cut it. So, again, my work in the business world has really informed how I do consulting even because the high tech, high scaling world of digital uh, mindset really works on more of what we call sprints and milestones. So how do we do a project or a step similar to what you were saying earlier, William? I, don't, I can't look five years down the road, but what do I need to do next? And how do I roll that out in six weeks? And what are the milestones to get me there? And not control so much through lots of meetings and lots of conversation and over perfectionism, the process. But these are the three things that have to happen so that in six weeks, we've taken this step and the whole team knows it. So a sprint is where we all are really clear on a short-term goal with a couple milestones that you as a leader know. You separate, crank the work, check in on milestone, crank the work, check in on milestone, finish the project, and then recalibrate. You can't even plan six sprints in a row because the sprint itself helps you know the next iteration, the next pivot. I, I think that's so right. I used to think that as a senior pastor, I was supposed to be able to get in the crow's nest and see the other side of the world or see 20 years down the road. And, and if 2020 has reiterated a lesson for me, it's, you know, David said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. And for whatever reason, I used to think that was like a Xenon headlight that went way <laughs> down the road, but it's not. It was a little candle you wore on your shoe and it showed you the next step. <laughs> so what we've been doing, uh, we've learned from churches. Churches are actually good at this. We've been doing campaigns. We just finished a six week campaign around succession because we launched a new book called a new version of the book next with lots of research. So campaign there. We're doing our next campaign. We'll start good. just like churches run up the hill to Easter, run up the hill to Christmas. I think if, if leaders can start to think strategically that way and not just around a liturgical calendar. Yeah, it's not. It's beyond sermon planning. We're talking about actually how you what staff members do I need? What project do we need to pilot? I think that um, experimental mentality, right? We're going to try things and then see if it works. Uh, these are field tests, experiments, launch something for six months with minimal 
resource investment. See if there's any fruit and if there's none, scrap it. And if there is, then start investing. Just that experimental startup, lean organization, agility mindset. I want to hear the next uh, trend that you're hearing because time is already slipping away, but I'm noticing from our producer, yeah. he told us one number, but we're already almost twice as big as the number he told us for <laughs> live participants. So hello, if you just joined Welcome us, everyone. we're glad to have you. We're going to be here for a number of weeks, I guess. And uh, just go ahead and mark your calendar. It'll be be a fun time. We did have a question, Katie. I don't know if you want to field it or me, but let me see. I'll yeah, I think you should answer this because you. I would love to know your expert opinion. So okay, someone look- wrote, wrote in that we have a couple staff pastors leaving our team. Overall, it's a positive situation, so they're not too worried about things. But what's your recommendation in terms of signing a non-compete um, wow. document or some sort of agreement as you leave? The one I get asked the most on is the statement that's like, I won't say anything bad about the church. I'm accepting the severance and in exchange, I won't say anything bad or negative on social media or to other people. What's your expert opinion on how to navigate that well? Yeah, so I, I don't I don't see... Uh, whether these people are leaving staff or not from the question. I couldn't tell if you- I think we can assume it's a paid pastoral position. But are they leaving or not? So they're they're leaving. Okay, they're leaving. So um, if you're having a staff member leave, Oh, you're saying voluntarily leave, like they're quitting versus being. Yeah, I don't know if they're, should I just have everybody sign a non-compete because we're in a great spot and I don't want to lose them or they're leaving and what are we- Yeah, this is people who are leaving. Same, same answer either way. But if, if someone is leaving and has told you now, this is barring some emotional shrapnel going around that, that I don't know from the question is, are people mad at each other and, you know, or, or has there been scandal or anything? Let's just throw it out. This is just a leave. OK, um, you as the employer have enormous leverage. You have the chance to bless them on the way out the door to be a sender and not a miser, right? And when you send, you can bless them with pay. Now, couple of mechanics around that. First thing, never give all of the money in one check, period. Severance packages, and I know that's a harsh word, pastors don't like it, Good farewell offerings or whatever you wanna call it. Um, pay it out over time. Once the money's paid out, your leverage increases quite a bit. So, you know, you want to give them six months pay, pay it over six months. Uh, People will be very interested in getting that next check. Now, I know this doesn't sound very biblical and we're talking about the bride of Christ. And believe me, I know I have this immovable appointment with Jesus where he's going to want to know why I tinkered with his place. (laughs) And I want it to be a good conversation. So I, I'm, I understand all that, but mechanically you have leverage and you can say, hey, I want both of us to agree that we're not going to say disparaging things about each other. Okay. I want that. Katie, here's something people miss. This is new in the last 10 years. I want that to extend to our extended families. Mm. You don't want your kids going on Snapchat, bad mouthing how they treated my mom when she was trying to raise us with no dad around and they fired her and, you know, whatever that, I mean, there's just always this horrible victim story an extended family member can tell that that can get legs and it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what the truth is. Mm -hmm. So if you can extend it beyond yourself and then to the, to uh, extended family members, that's a huge help. And then finally, I would put in there uh, a, a, a clause that says, um, by signing this release, 
Uh, you're, we're agreeing to pay me these terms. Da, da, da. You're also releasing me as your former employer to give an honest uh, reference call when your future employers call me. Because in a lot of states, you're only allowed to say, Katie worked for me from December 1, 2012 to December 15, 2017. And that's it. Um, if you are then empowered to be able to say what you think, people are going to be a lot more careful crafting how you think about them. <laughs> now, that doesn't get to non-compete. I always put a non-compete in. Okay, This is all really great uh, concept. The reality is, you can't enforce any of it. It's almost impossible to enforce in court. So if people want to be a rear end, or excuse me, if Jesus called them to plant a church <laughs> blocks away from your church, that's what I meant to say. If that happens, there's not a lot you can do except, except spend a lot of money in court to get very little done. I will say that having people sign papers, like with ink and everything, really does drive home a reality. And, and you don't want to sound like threaten them into doing this, but I think good paper makes good friends. If, if folks listening need that resource, we have employment agreements or separation agreements. It's actually, uh, you're going to want to check it with whatever state you're in, find an attorney in your church. Lots of attorneys need Jesus. You've probably got one. And so uh, you'll, you'll want to make sure it's state compliant. You'll also want to make sure it's age compliant. Uh, the rules are different for people 40 and above than they are for 40 and below. It's oh, a, interesting. Yeah, it's a long, long story you don't want to hear, but it's about ageism and firing people quickly and that sort of thing. We, gotcha. We're happy to supply that for you. I was going to say, I'll do your shameless plug. Vanderblumen has great services to help kind of guide you through that. No, and this is actually, this is just a free resource. Just email. Oh, even better. Well, I would just say this is as a HR person who's worked in ministry a long time, this is where um, some consult, some professionally paid consultation on these things that we don't do all the time is really worth the money. And from those moments, you do this a few times, you start to figure out what works for you, what fits your culture. Um, I'm always a little worried when people fire people completely different than their experience of attending church and being on staff, right? So it's got to fit with your culture. It has to uphold your values. You want to be able to put your head on the pillow at night. And a lot of times, professional legal advice, staffing advice, those people can really help you know that you're on the right track and give you options of what other people have done. So really yeah, I, great question. I doubt, I hope no one on this call besides me has overseen 2000 staff transitions. That would be really <laughs> bad if there was someone else that has that. So just let me be your guy that paid the stupid tax. We'll email you the resource for free. Just email, you can email William at Vanderblumen or Anna at Vanderblumen. It'll get to us. And I'm sure Brooks can send out a, a, a link. Yeah, is there a link on your website, Brooks? Maybe you can pop that into the chat for everybody. And yeah. uh, speaking of which, we just want to welcome all of the new folks that are joining us. We are taking questions. If you're here with us live, just put those in the chat. And Brooks is kind of doing tech stuff for us. So he'll shoot those to us uh, as we go. All right, yeah, William. Tell me your yeah. next trend, Katie. You were, oh, you want my next one? Okay. Absolutely. That was so good. So I really believe that remote work is here to stay. I think people can choose to do this or not do this, but I think in terms of culture, particularly younger leaders coming up, um, remote work is here to stay. And so how we do that and how we want to do that and thinking about that really matters because as and many churches have their offices reopened, they're, they've been doing weekend services for a while, um, but the trend is not over. And in fact, I believe it's going to be a huge part of 
strategically hiring people in the future is being able to offer some of the things we've all experienced for the last year, some flex days, some work from home days. Um, Most of us as leaders have understood that, man, if I can get out of the office and be in my back basement, uh, you know, whatever, next to the setup gym and grandma's old Christmas tree, I can get so much done. So there is an opportunity for efficiency and availability. Uh, But for me, two key reasons why I think it's important for leaders to fight for a way to make virtual work um, and at least a part of everyone's work life. Uh, One is, as you know, I uh, talk a lot about female leadership and how we as church leaders can do a better job welcoming and encouraging females to bring their leadership gifts to our staff teams and to the leadership table. Women tend to thrive, high capacity women, not every woman, but high capacity female leaders tend to thrive when there is a high level of uh, flexibility and the option of doing virtual work. They can balance things better. They can get things done at 11 at night till one in the morning and they want to do that. Um, they can you know, have a long lunch and hit their kid's car line or get someone to the doctor and then still catch up. And so being able to open that up has really allowed a lot of women in high capacity roles in their churches actually get more done with less during this past year. So that is a key piece for them. Secondly, I really believe the church has been in need for a while for a volunteer revolution. And just like Mm -hmm. our staff has had a lot more flexibility in how to engage people and work from home and flex, our volunteer leaders also have. And so you have high capacity leaders in your church that if you had a children's ministry staff meeting at 9 a.m. on a Tuesday, they could rearrange their schedule and join you if Zoom was an option. Now, I've been on Zoom, probably you have too, William, as a consultant for the last five years, almost every day, at least for an hour or two. And so it's a normal part of life. I went into the pandemic, but I had to teach a lot of people where the volume button is, how you can like change your name in the little lower left-hand corner, right? But now the whole world kind of knows how this works, which means all your volunteers know, even the grandma who's 72 figured out how to talk to her kids on FaceTime Live or Zoom. So you have a whole population of volunteer leadership capacity that can now come to your staff meeting, that can be interviewed, that can do a one-on-one with you, and they can do it without leaving their job. And so I just want to really challenge leaders to not close the door on that or feel like it feels awesome to have all your people back at home with you. If you need everybody together, there are plenty of churches, like Life Church is a great example. Once a quarter, they bring everybody in live and their families. They have a big family-style retreat. Everybody gets to see each other, but then they go back to their campuses all over the world and do their thing. So there's connection, but there's not ongoing connection. And that gives everybody a lot of freedom and it gives you the capacity to harness your top leadership talent with having to pay for them to be on full-time staff. Yeah, totally disagree with you. I kind of thought you might. So I'm glad I got to go first. I only say that to keep people (laughs) listening. Oh, whoa, he just disagreed. I need to get off that text I was doing while I was remote working, because guess what else happens when you're remote working? You don't get somebody's 100% attention. Uh, I think for people that are super overachievers, like the Katie Coles of the world, the people I want to hire, then they're they're wonderful. I think what I've found, and and not to say I disagree, here's what I'll say. In-person work is here to stay. And I think remote work is here to stay. And the question then is, where is the wisdom for your team and how you do things for how that blends and how it doesn't? And we've been doing Zoom for uh, over 10 years now. No, not quite 10 years. It started in April of, it started 10 years ago this month. So uh, before that was Citrix. 
terrible. Yeah. You know, Zoom was a great time. relief I to that. Get <laughs> from Citrix people for saying things like that. But uh, anyway, uh, sorry for all you Citrix lovers out there to have uh, uh, been so mean. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I doing Zoom, we we took. You know, we do search. We help churches find their pastors, schools find their headmaster, you know, whoever's helping Jesus, we want to help build their team. So it occurred to me, you know, it's great that there are all these big, wonderful churches, but most churches are about 100 people. Like, that's normal. So how in the world are they going to afford to fly me all over the place and do all that? So we built way back in like 2012 or 13, a virtual search at a much lower cost and thought this will be great. Um, about 98% of our clients refer us to their friends, which is amazing. God's been so good. When we went to virtual, it dropped below 60%. Now, maybe that meant I didn't know where the mute button was and I need to learn how to Zoom. But I, here's the theological takeaway that, that I had many years ago and 2020 just cemented it. If virtual were all it's cracked up to be, Jesus would have just Zoomed it in. So, I mean, why fool with a manger? Why come down on earth? Why do physical healings where I get my hands dirty and actually touch the leper? I could just click a button and it's all done. Much cleaner option, right? No. And no, it wasn't. Well, back then they didn't have tech. We're told that Jesus came to the earth in the fullness of time. So in person is going to make a bigger difference after COVID than it did before. The question is, how are you going to do in person? How frequently are you going to do in person? And how do you leverage it uh, in, in a way that really, really works? And I think uh, there's going to have to be a whole new realm of interviewing. We have a, a large church, about 5,000 in pre-COVID attendance, uh, very well-respected church. Everyone would want to work there. They found that during COVID, 30% of their full-time, fully paid staff were taking side hustles on like Uber driving during the day because I'll just get my work done when I'm not Uber driving and not telling their boss. So there is an underbelly to this called supervision that it, it is a high, high trust environment we're entering into and how you interview so you don't get taken because the, the heart of man is deceitful above all things. It just is. That's why Jesus, right? So, you know, how do you interview around that without uh, sounding like a, a, a you know, a, a mean old Catholic school teacher or something like how do, you, how do you not sound like a czar? And and then also how do you structure things like here in Houston, even before the pandemic, our traffic is awful. Lo longest average commute of any major city in the country. So we just tell people you want to work from early in the morning till early in the afternoon. Fine. You want to work late in the morning till on into the evening, that's fine. You can change day to day, doesn't matter. But we, what we did was we that created a core of hours of like 11 till about two when everyone was there. And all the important meetings could happen around that core of hours and then the flexibility is built out from the side. So that's probably not a solution for everybody. Churches don't need as much collaboration as a lot of businesses do. Um, but I just think that the people that are going to come out on top are going to realize that in person is going to matter more than ever. People are tired of Zoom. And uh, how do I leverage the precious moments that we bring, come together and not just create a back to the salt mines? So in person's here to stay. Virtual's here to stay. My prayer all during this pandemic has been give me more wisdom, Lord. 
because that's where the ball game is. Right. Because I think the key is, again, it comes back to the kind of team you're running, the kind of culture you have. So because um, I do think the the high in person does have a control that virtual doesn't. But um, are you controlling or are you um, building kind of high trust? You use those two words. Right. And yes. so which which are you? And also, I think it has an implication on what roles are you talking about? Because there are some roles you actually you can't be the custodian and do that virtually. So it's it's not an all 100%. Although I do think 100% virtual church is they are launching and we will see where those go. But I do think finding the combination and knowing that you've got options and that you're willing to be open-minded and think. It's also partly why when I was talking about leadership agility, moving from clocked in hours in the office to milestones and sprint measurements, um, those kind, those two things go together, right? Because if you have a high trust environment, high empowerment, you have higher accountability than you do when you have a high control control environment because the control environment is actually controlling the people. The trust environment is controlling the outcomes and there's consequences. You fire a lot more people here than you do here. So again, if you're a church that's got a high culture of we never fire people, then you do probably, you won't be able to give as much flexibility because you want to, you have, you have to bring out the best in people. If you have a high trust environment, or if you want to move towards that, you have to become more comfortable with confrontation, more comfortable with letting people go based on performance. You have to articulate that. And for churches, that can be a very challenging thing because especially if you're building from within and you have a heart compassion piece. So those are the balances. I think we're both saying the same things from probably really different angles. So I think the takeaway is really uh, know how to leverage both in-person and uh, virtual or remote, how do you leverage those for the culture you have? And how, how do you leverage that for the individual employee to maximize what they can bring to the table? And again, uh, certain people are going to thrive in certain areas and your volunteerism can shift if you get a little bit more creative um, and just be open to some options. That's so good. You okay, William, what's next remotely? on yours? I'll what let you I work do? remotely. You want to join our team? I'll let you stay where you can work more. <laughs> All right. I might take you up on that. Anyone else got virtual job opportunities for Katie Cole? Please text me. <laughs> okay. So go on. What's your next one, William? This is great. Yeah. No, I, I think the next trend that we're going to be asking is this very thing. How much ministry is virtual? How much ministry is in person? And, and I, don't think, um, I don't think you're going to get your pre-COVID attendance levels back. I don't think they're going to happen until you replace with new people. Physical like I think that you're saying you won't get your physical attendance back, physical attendance back, like actual people coming together. I mean, there's great power in that people are going to want to get together. Um, but the future of attendance is going to be about engagement and not content because people have figured out like I can YouTube anybody's preaching now. I mean, it's they, even my mother's church is live streaming. So it, it, the ball game now is engagement. And so how do you engage people in a sermon? Well, here's, here's a trend that I see coming. I think that the, up, the, the pastor of the future of the local church is going to be the pastor that is the resident expert on the current events of their zip code. Mm, like not what's going on in the world, not seven steps to a better marriage. Okay, that's fine. But seven steps to a better marriage in 77005. Mm -hmm. Here are the particular constraints in our neighborhood where the average SAT score is like 
1500. Like that's a different world. And it's our little weird neighborhood, right? What, what about your neighborhood? Can you learn? How can you say so that, you know, Billy Graham used to say, how do I do my sermons? I sit down with a Bible and the local new, and the newspaper. And uh, I would say you sit down with the Bible and you Google news your zip code. And like, that might change by campus. If I can just put a little multi-site plug in there. Yes, absolutely. Now I do think there will be an emergence of, uh, I'm old enough, Katie, you're probably not old enough to remember Casey Kasem in the top. Four. Oh yes. My <laughs> high school days right there. All right. So I, I don't know if the number's 40. And all the people under 30 just went, started Googling, actually. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, they weren't paying attention to us anyway. They're working virtually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I don't fight Casey fair. Kasem. I'm sorry. Casey Kasem. Casey Kasem in the top 40. I think you're going to see the top 40 preachers like the national, like people whose virtual ministry really is going to grow with quantum leaps over the next five to 10 years. People, you know, Craig was kind of a forerunner at Life Church with this, but I think people like Brian Tome, his online attendance is yep. through the roof at Crossroads. I think the day will come where people, and it might be that it's like the new form of buying a Bible study from Lifeway. It's like, I just get my supplemental content by listening to Matt Chandler every week on his podcast or Tim Keller or whoever the, you know, or for me, if you're a total church junkie, I have a regular five and then I rotate five. So like in my morning run is somebody and uh, I, I don't see that going away so that the multi-site piece, those top 40 churches are probably going to be large multi-site churches that, um, you know, just have the bandwidth to speak at a level of charisma that is unusual and not scalable or repeatable. Uh, but the, but the day in day out ministry, I see, I'm, I don't know if I made the word up, but micro contextualization is mm. the ballgame. And, and COVID is not a disruptor in this way. COVID's just an accelerator. This was already happening. And COVID just took 10 years and crammed it into one. And you think about your shopping for a while. Now you're not old enough to do this. When I was in middle school, I wanted my mom on Friday night to drop me off at the mall. mall. Yeah, that's how old I am, right? So I could go, they had these things Dude, called- Dude, we're the arcade. same age. <laughs> well, they had these, you remember these things called arcades where oh, they had games yes. that took coins? It's and now in my teenage son's bedroom. <laughs> right, so like a Donkey Kong, like that was my world. Yes, I'm that old, go ahead and sh hang up, it's fine. Uh, but, uh, you know, that was where all the shopping happened. And then uh, Walmart came out and everybody shopped under one roof. And then past that, uh, people said, well, actually, we don't want to do the one roof and everything. Strip malls started to show up, remember? And and strip malls are great, but you you travel, Katie. You probably had this happen. Have you ever been sitting at a Panera and not know what city you're in? Because you look <laughs> up and, oh, there's the Panera. There's the Payway. There's the <laughs> all the same. Chipotle, so, yeah. all the things. Yeah. And so we've gone from strip mall to where do we shop now? Not just local, but like locally sourced markets. Like that's the thing. Like even my hometown of Lenore has a craft brewery and what in the world? Uh, it, it, you know, that's where people's shopping and tendencies have been. It's where their pastoral needs are too. Hyper contextualization. What are you, you know, locally sourcing in your ministry? Mm -hmm. and, and I think it won't just be in the preaching. I think it will be in your mission portfolio. Yes, global missions, but where did Jesus say start? Jerusalem, right where they were standing. I think if you don't have a heart for your zip code or you're, so you can't get by 
tolerating your context. You're going to have to celebrate it mm-hmm. and be the local historian, the local current event person, and show a heart for, for helping your community become better. That will supersede anything somebody's going to get from a YouTube channel. Yeah, I love that. I, I'm talking about the very same kinds of things. I'm phrasing it probably a little different. So I'll throw it out there for people just in case it's helpful. I'm talking about how connection is really the new excellence. So yeah. when I was coming up in ministry in the 80s and 90s, it was all about excellence, right? We were coming out of the boomer generation. It was all about performance. I mean, I grew up in a church where anyone got to sing or play their instrument on Christmas Eve, including me, fourth grade, playing my recorder, We Three Kings. Like it was a horrible music night every year. And then we went, we shifted from everyone, you know, can do anything to we want the best singers, we want the best preachers, we want the best of all the things because that builds credibility with a society that are is highly driven towards consumerism. Well, this has shifted it. You're correct. Uh, I agree with you in that the pandemic has accelerated that shift, but excellence is no longer the commodity. In fact, the more excellent you are, the less credibility you have, particularly online. You and a phone walking your dog has more impact than the lights and the bells and the whistles and all the interns and the great musicians from Nashville and all those things. And so for me, when it comes to that's a core piece of the of the church. Um, And then you combine that with the mental health state of our country and the people in your church and the community you're trying to serve not just connection, like maybe we think of connection, like, oh, good, phew, we have a connections team. I mean, actual like relationships where you know people as pastoral ministry staff, they know you. Um, it, if they don't show up for a few weekends, you notice and you care enough to actually follow up yourself because you care about the people, not because your numbers went down. I've met with a lot of church leaders that are like, we've lost a lot of people, but our numbers are up. So it's okay. And I'm just like, don't you actually care about those people? Uh Like, I know that's like, that's like the 99, right. And you're going after the one, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure the 99 matter also. And so just making sure again, baby and bathwater, we don't keep our old mentality of evangelism and assimilation hat on, we actually open it up and say, I want to actually connect with people. We would do better in our jobs if we spent a little less time on the sleek excellence and shifted that time, that finances, that staff hours to actually connecting with people and seeing where they're at. So at the same time, then these mental health needs um, of our community are going to get really big, but we're talking about leading staff teams. So if I think everyone needs to be looking at that. But in terms of staff, I feel like a strategic thing for us as leaders to be doing right now is to figure out how to build those connections with our staff team and how to resource the needs they have moving forward. Uh, And I just want to speak to senior pastors now because I'm talking to a lot of senior and executive pastor teams and particularly the senior pastors. The weight you are carrying right now and what you are feeling is completely normal for the year you have gone through. And I'm going to steal a little metaphor from Jim Collins. He says, uh, when he started working with the nonprofit sector and particularly churches, I remember watching him in the interview, just like the, the, the scales flew off his eyes and he was like, oh my gosh, when you're a senior pastor, you're the CEO, right? You have to do all the leadership hits, but you're also the product. And right now your job as CEO as leader is harder than it's probably, I almost would bet my salary on the fact that it's harder than it's ever been, but you as product, you as the message, 
is also harder than it's ever been, right? Anyone get hate texts or, you know, social media because you said a microaggression statement incorrectly? Like that matters, right? We're all having to speak a different language. You're having to divide scripture completely differently than you were a year ago. You're having to retrain yourself this to speak to, as William is just saying, the needs of our time and your local context, right? If you've had a march or a riot, you have to be speaking to something totally different that you probably haven't had to before. But then your leadership is also getting hit. And so if if what you were doing up until this point is no longer working for you, you are human and right on track with everybody else. And so as leaders, part of what we have to do is say, this is a reality for us in ministry. We're carrying spiritual needs and burdens we haven't been before. So how can we take some of those um, Uh, support for our staff? How can we invest in bringing some counselors on staff? How can we make sure we highlight that everyone has mental health benefits? How do we take away the shame of medications? There's a whole work of mental health that we can start with just in our staff, that if we do this well, if we actually teach them what God thinks about our mental, physical, emotional, integrated health, all of that together, spiritual, all of that together. If we can teach our team how to do that, they will teach our people how to look at that in a more healthy and more freeing way that we can actually come out of this stronger than we were before. That's so good. So good. And the the mental health piece, I mean, get ready for, uh, get ready for a lot of pastoral care. And and it sounds, you know, it sounds like um, we're talking about a new form of ministry but there's nothing new under the sun. And to me, if you want to learn how to do this kind of ministry, go find a really old preacher who pastored somewhere after World War II and before the, the world changed with the internet. Because the old school priestly skills of actually showing up at the hospital once we're allowed to do that, actually doing the funerals, actually being there for the holy moments, that that I think is going to be in super high demand. and. Uh, you know, God's going to use it in great ways. Uh, Engagement can't happen from home all the time. Well, and sometimes I think we need to retrain our staff, like our, especially our newer staff members who aren't over 60 in those like core competencies, because we've been in a leadership focused environment in the church world for a really long time. And it's been awesome, but you're right. We are going to be our communities and our churches are going to be in the same place we were post uh, depression era. There's a reason most churches were only 150 people. And that's because you can shepherd and care really well and create a community that takes care of each other. And we need more shepherding mentality, less new vision, new things, lots of money, like less of that for this next season, more making sure everybody's keeping themselves together, keeping their families together, um, still able to leave their house without having a panic attack, like that pastoral care piece. And I would just encourage pastors, you might assume because you know how to do it, that your team knows how to do it. I can almost guarantee they don't know how to do it. I remember teaching our school of leadership at the church I was at uh, in South Florida, and we had to teach people how to do staff people, pray for people who were sick, lead people to Christ. Like they were facilitating ministry, but they weren't doing frontline ministry. And this is a time for professionals to be professionally trained in pastoral skills and then be sent out to actually pastorally care for the people. And I, I just to piggyback that, because it's so good. I think uh, when you're adding staff, because you will, because you're going to lose staff and you're going to grow, uh, you need to interview for those skills. Some of those things can't be taught. Some of them you're going to have to, you're going to have to order really like 
basic training. Like you seriously are going to have to include in your onboarding. I'm not kidding. You're going to have to teach people how to manage their email because not <laughs> every generation uses Snapchat and intergenerational ministry would be another trend. I guess we can hit on that. I think we well, have- that's coming up. We, we yeah. brainstormed that, right? That's one of the topics we're going to talk about and bring in some really great new, fresh research about how to lead teams intergenerationally, um, especially in virtual with virtual dynamics, because the younger the leader, the more likely they will ask for and expect some virtual engagement for their time. And so being able to talk about that is part of what we're going to talk about upcoming. But uh, yeah, I think we're actually in our last few minutes. And so if anyone else has some questions, uh, William, anything else you wanted to add in? I, I know we probably both could talk for a lot longer, but this has been a really rich conversation. There have been so many great webinars and things that have happened in the last year. And, and I'm kind of webinared out, but I was really excited about this being a series. I was excited to work with you, Katie, because you're awesome. But when we started talking about the topics and who we're going to have on as guests over the next several weeks, I got really energized by it. So maybe why don't you give everybody a sneak preview of just a couple of things we're going to be covering? Yep. And talk for just a second while I pull that list up. <laughs> sure. No. Well, I know for one, um, you know, I want to talk about race. You know, I, I think that people don't want to talk about it. Uh, how do we do that? I, I, every pastor is dealing with it. If you're dealing with it and you don't, if your congregation is less racially friendly than you thought it was, you are not alone. You're yeah. not crazy. And we want to talk yeah. about that. And we yeah. want to talk about how to address it. And we're going to bring some people in for these conversations as well. Mm-hmm. Why don't you hit a highlight or two, Kate? Yeah. So the series is really focusing on leading your team well. So how can you hire for diversity? How do you do that at a team level? How do you even talk about those issues? Um, we're going to talk about um, a bit more about mental health and the services you can provide um, and how to do that cost effectively. Because that I know, even as I'm mentioning, bringing counselors on staff, pastors are like ringing you know, the bill up in their mind. So we're going to talk about how we can do that um, with a much better way, how you can create rhythms without giving permission to just stop working or be depressed all the time, right? Because that's not actually the answer either. Uh, We're going to dive into um, more about this idea of leading multiple generations remotely. Next week, we're going to do a double click on this idea of transitioning staff. And so I really appreciated our uh, question on that uh, today. If you have questions about that, uh, please sign into the chat. Even here, I think you can, Brooks, let me know if they can send in their questions ahead of time because I would love to be able to give some thought to those questions. So if this uh, chat can stay open on the portal, that would be great. We will review those um, and but then bring your questions to the webinar next week. We would love to be able to ask them. Uh, Yes, he's going to send you information on how to send in your questions. So give that some thought, ask your staff members and then bring, you know, make it a team meeting, come and join as a team and be able to process some of the things we're going to talk about next week about how to transition staff well. I think I'm going to learn a lot from the guests bringing on and from you. Um, we did have a great question earlier about housing and with prices going through the roof, what do we do? I'm going to, I'm going to put that in the staff transitions uh, webinar. I want to spend some time there because you're faced with a lot like, how do I keep employees? I can't afford to give them a raise. How do I? All of that we're going to cover in the next, uh, that episode on transitions. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Katie, thank you so much for, you know, agreeing to work with me. I don't know what short straw you drew, but yeah, William, this was great. I think we, I think they just said who could talk at each other for an hour. I think William and Katie could pull that off. 
And I'm like, for six weeks in a row, in fact, we can do it. But it won't always be just us. We're going to bring in some great guests. And I'm excited to learn along with you and along with all of our viewers. So please pass it around. If you know team leaders who are looking for folks, we just are trying to provide great content that is going to be helpful. And there's a lot of content to choose from. So be strategic and don't feel pressure. But we would love to invite you back next week. Thanks, everybody.